0: This morning we're going to talk about roles in marriage, and I know that many of you like really clear um, answers, and I know some of you are engineers, and you just have struggled with subtlety, so heres I've looked deep into the Greek text, and I've determined what are the roles that are are given, and so it says, for husbands, uh, our role, our job is to mow the lawn, Wives get to do the laundry. Um, husbands load the dishwasher. Wives are supposed to empty the dishwasher. Husbands are supposed to change 33% of diapers. Wives are supposed to make 80% of decorating decisions. So you've got to give the guys a little voice in that. Um, husbands are called to feed the dog. Wives are called to feed the cat. Uh, Husbands are called to kill any and all spiders. Wives get to kiss any boo-boos. So, and husbands are in charge of any activity involving a, a hammer drill where wives are in charge of anything dealing with doilies. So, I was fibbing. The Bible does not spell out. Such duties. I. It might be easier if it did. Like we, we like to have those clear answers. But in reality, we have freedom in a marriage to work out as a married couple who does what within that. And if you don't exactly fit what society says, God has no problem with that. Um, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm really am like, how many in your family do the the wives manage the checkbook? pay the bills? How many is, is it the husbands? Manage the checkbook and pay the bills. Looks like it's a little more balanced to the wives on that. So interesting. Um, some people, it's just for that, it's whoever will do better at it and who can keep on top of it. Um, now, there are two things that are spelled out clearly as to who does what in a marriage wives are the ones who get to have the babies sorry guys just just not god says no to that for you um husbands are the ones that get to lay down their lives if it ever comes to it for their wives so if you know you just got off the titanic and you're floating on a raft and there's only room for one of you even though by all appearance it looks like there'd be room for two if there's only room for one of you, husbands, you're the one that has to slide off and die and let your wife live. So husbands be, get to be the ones that give up their lives. Um, no, seriously, that's, that's in our text. But, so the Bible doesn't lay out who does what as far as household chores. We have freedom. The Bible, the, 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 Jesus came to set us free. We have freedom to figure that out. What works for us as a married couple? But the Bible does teach how husbands and wives are to relate to one another. Now, as we've been going through this series, this is what, number seven, we've we've talked about how clearly men and women are equal before God. Men and male and female, they are both equal. Um, And so you might conclude, well, wives and then husbands would have the same, they would have equivalent roles to one another. But no, men and women are different. And and I know in that day, on our day and time, that's actually challenged, but I think, I don't even have an argument to make it. It's just men and women were made different in general. Um, But in a marriage relationship, the roles are not symmetric, there is a distinction within a marriage between husbands and wives. And so the the thing that comes out in our text today is wives, be subject to or submit to your own husbands. We're going to look at both of those passages that we read, Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. But I'm wondering, what was your reaction to that idea? Wives, submit to your own husbands. I've been reading through this book by Rebecca McLaughlin. I've quoted it a couple times now. And she, she shares the first time she ever encountered that and her reaction to it when she was in college. And here's what she says. She says, I was an undergraduate at Cambridge when I first wrestled with these words. wives well, submit to your husbands. I came from an academically driven, equality-oriented, all-female high school. I was now studying in a majority male college and I was repulsed. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord? You have to be kidding me. Maybe that's your reaction um, for for some people here. She goes on to say, I knew women were just as competent as men. If there was wisdom in any asymmetrical decision-making in marriage, surely it should depend on who was more competent in the relevant area. And so she began engaging with the scripture and thinking this through, trying to understand what was going on. And, you know, when she first looked at the, the passage in Ephesians 5, and she said, Oh, I can explain this away because the verb submit does not actually directly show up in verse 22. And she maybe thought, I can figure that, I can find some way that it, it's not saying what people think it's saying. But then she says, no, it's actually not only taught in this one, these, these two passages, it's also taught um, actually in four places, Colossians 3.18, Titus 2.5, it's, it's established, wives are called to be subject to their husbands. Just, just as an aside, beware of any doctrine that's only taught in one place in the Bible. It's possible to misinterpret when it's only in one place, but this this is given in more than, than one place. And so she, she then switched gears and said she tried to understand. She realized she could not argue out of it. But what was it saying? And ultimately, it only really started to make sense to her when she saw it in light of the truth of Jesus. In these places where it says this, it's also always talking about how Jesus gave himself for us. And she says, that's the key to understanding what God is calling both husbands and wives to, what Jesus has done for us. So let's look closely at these passages and try to understand what is God saying to husbands and wives in the midst of them. And I would suggest that it's worthwhile, even if you're not a husband or wife, Or if you never become a husband or wife, that that it it could be helpful for us as the body of Christ. How do we encourage each other to be faithful to what God is calling us to? And so first I want to start with the context of the passage. In Ephesians 5, you really have to to look back in verse 1 and 2. So here's what it says in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us. So note the the command verb, walk in love as Christ loved us. So that's the command verb. The rest of Ephesians 5, if you go through it, is about how do you fulfill that command verb. And in fact, the verbs in the later chapter, I know some of you just love grammar. The, so, so the command verb is a, a verb in the imperative. Walk in love is imperative. It's a command. Many of the verbs in the rest of Ephesians 5 are what's called participles. In English, we we, we know it's a participle when it has ing after it. So walk in love by how? By, how, by doing what? Then you get these other, um, like, like the ones we started worship with, speaking uh, to each other in love singing songs how do you walk in love you do these things and the the verb in verse 21 submitting to one another it is a participle how do you walk in love you do this and note in verse 21 it's it's talks about how we are all called submitting to one another there are times when all of us all believers will actually defer to, to another person for the sake of Christ. This includes me. There are decisions that sometimes that are made at the church where I would probably say, "Oh, I think we should go this way," but people within the framework actually are more they they're the ones and so I'll defer to their decision in different areas, especially stuff that has to do with the building, the trustees. I trust that they know more what they're talking about with anything dealing with the building. So I will defer to them, trusting in their their leadership in those areas. So verse 21, submitting to one another in Christ. So then verse 22, that's what this is. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, I mentioned how she looked in Greek and said the verb wasn't there. She's right. In verse 22, the literal translation is, wives to your own husbands in greek the word submit is not actually in the text ah well then it's not saying to but here's the thing there's no verb wives to your own husbands where do you get the verb well in greek grammar you got to find it in the previous sentence so it belongs there the translation in our passage is right you just draw the verb from the previous verse. Now, I would suggest maybe it would have been better, wives submitting to your husbands, to your own husbands, that that it, it's that participle that I would say. It's also repeated in verse 24. So you, you can't weasel out and say it's not applying. It, 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 it really is there, um, and it teaches. So, so verse 24 will repeat the command, or restate the command of wives to be subject to your husbands. Verse 23 gives the reason, really two reasons are given in this. One is, why should they do that? Because husbands, a husband is the head of his wife, like Christ is the head of the church. Now that's speaking it as the one body relationship, the one flesh relationship of marriage. That's, so husband's the head of his wife, that, that's because they're one body. They're united together. The other reason it's giving is because that's what the church does for Christ. The church follows the lead of Christ. So a wife should follow the lead of her husband. So that's the core teaching in that that first part. And in no way do I want to water down what the Scripture says. It says it, and I would suggest it is a good thing. We, We do not want to just explain it as a way, as a cultural thing, because it's uncomfortable for us in our modern day and age when everything is meant to be equal in all ways. But I think it is important to understand some aspects of it. So let me share four points I want to make in regard to this passage that I think will help us understand what is it actually saying to us, and what is it not saying. The first thing is, the passage is speaking to the wives as to what they should do. This is big. We, don't, we, we skip by this. The Bible was written to both men and women. And women are treated as moral agents capable of making decisions. We talked elsewhere how they are heirs of the kingdom promises, just as men are. If this were a Greek or Roman author, it would not address the women at all it would tell the men, be sure your wives submit to you. See to it that your wife obeys you in everything. If it were written by in the, how things were written in the day and age, that's what it would say. Even someone Jewish, uh, when we look at Josephus, he was a first century Jewish and Roman writer. Here's what he says. He says, a woman, it says, is inferior to a man in all respects, so let her obey Not that she may be abused, but that she may be ruled, for God has given power to the man. Notice, Josephus is not talking to the women, to the wives. He's talking about them. The Bible does not do it that way. The Bible is speaking to wives and saying, Wives, trust me, and learn to follow the lead of your husband. So, that's the first point I want to make. Second is, we've got to talk about this word. Submit. It is drawn, um, and I'm going to argue that actually I, I would. I don't think we should use that as the the right way to translate it. Um, and there's a reason I have. the The word in Greek is hupotasso, and it can be translated to be under obedience, to be subject to, um, all, all those different versions of, of hupotasso. And it was a Greek military term that if you were in a military unit you would follow the the lead of your commanding officer you'd be hupotasso and it says it's a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating assuming responsibility and carrying a burden I prefer the translation be subject to and here's why because of mixed martial arts seriously If you go to someone who's not a church person and you go ask them, what does the word submit mean? They are going to picture mixed martial arts. Do we have a picture on the screen for that? Did I do that one? Yes. This is what people think of when they see the word submit. If you even put it into Google, mixed martial arts is going to do it. Because what do you do then? You use force. And you put someone in a position where they can't help but submit. You you put pain upon them, and you force them to submit, to to tap out. That's what is in people's heads when they see that word submit, and that is not what the Bible is talking about. That's why I would retranslate it, be subject to, or being subject to. Think about this. What's the opposite of what it's saying? You know, if you want to give it the op, the opposite is to be in rebellion against, to be op- in opposition to. You know, wives, do not be in opposition to your husband. Do not rebel against your husband. Do not undermine your husband. That's what it's saying. It's the idea of following the the lead of, not being in this position where you're being forced to. The third thing I want to point out is. It is for wives to be subject to their own husband. To their own husband. It emphasizes that. It is in no way that women are subject to men in general. Right? It says a husband is the head of his wife, not man is head over woman. This is within a marriage relationship. And it's applicable to marriage because what happens in marriage? For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, I love this picture of a tandem bike. One day, I, I, maybe I can. You think I could convince my wife to ever get one of these bikes and go on rides with me? Probably not. But, um, but you know, you might think of marriage okay, you each get your own bicycle and you ride along side by side through life. Well, in reality, in a Christian marriage, it's actually, this is a better picture. You are riding one bike, right? You're, you're united together in life, and if you're each trying to steer in different directions, it's not going to work. Someone is called to take the lead um, in that, and you're not called to work against each other. You're called to work together, and so wife is not to be subject to, to, to someone, in, a man in general, is subject to someone who has made a vow before God to love, cherish, and live with her, live together with her. That's a different, different thing. Fourth thing I want to say that, that we see in this. It's, note how it says, as to the Lord. So for both husbands and wives, we first submit... To God, we first learn to follow the call upon His life. And so, for a wife, her first calling is to follow the Lord, to walk in Christ, and she shows love to her husband, or she shows love, yes, that she shows love to her husband by not undermining him or working against him. If her husband tells her to do something wrong or sinful, she is not obligated then to obey. Say, honey. We're kind of short on cash. Why don't you help me rob this bank? Should she submit to her husband? No. She, her first call is to submit to the Lord. And then as she submits to the Lord, then she'll... So she, in that case, she would actually be obligated to refuse and seek to bring him back to doing what is right. So those are the four things I think that I think help maybe frame what it means for wives to be subject to their husbands. Let's go to that verse that I think we've done almost every sermon, every, in the sermon series. Genesis 3.16, it's what God said to Eve when sin was first introduced. Do you remember that? I keep bringing it up. He said, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Compare that to Ephesians 5, and my argument then is that that's what, what sin looks like. It's a desire to get her own way. a desire for, for the wife, would be a desire to be independent of her husband and, and to work at cross-purposes, cross to be in opposition. He's working towards one thing, and instead, your desire will be to, be, to, to go against that, to be contrary. Um, instead of you know, riding the tandem bike together, you're going to try to steer it in a different direction. That's what would happen in marriage. Just to give an example, let's say the couple is trying to get out of debt, that they've, they've built up a lot of debt, and the husband says, we need to cut back on our spending, and they both try, kind of come to an agreement, hey, we're going to you know, limit our extra spending. We're just going to focus on the basics. And then the wife says, no, nope, I don't have to listen to you, and she goes out and goes on a big spending spree and sinking them deeper into debt. That's the, this idea of your desire shall be contrary to your husband. There's a very important verse, 1 Corinthians 11:11 says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. We're made to be dependent on one another. So what's the opposite of your desire shall be contrary? Wives, follow the lead of your husbands as to the Lord. Right? Don't work against him. Work with him. Ride the bike together in the same direction. So the other half of Genesis 3.16 talks about the husband's aspect. This is the other side. But he shall rule over you. And when I looked at this in the past, I said we talked about how in general men would use their greater strength and aggression... To rule over womankind. God was not endorsing that, but he was describing what would happen now that sin has been unleashed within the world. This is how the world operates. Each would seek their own, there'd be competition for power, and men would use their their advantage and strength to get their way. Is that what Paul says to do for husbands? Are men told to rule over their wife to get what they want? No. It says husbands love your wife. How many times in Ephesians 5 does Paul tell husbands to love their wife? Three times. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ gave up his life for our salvation. right? He died to set us right with God, so a husband should love his wife even to the point of death if it came to it. Now, I'll some of the stuff in Ephesians five about the cleansing and washing—that's what Christ does for us. Paul says, "I'm speaking of Christ in the church." Husbands don't cleanse their wife or sanctify her of sin or anything like that. Um, but, but when a husband does love, love his wife, it's a picture of how Christ loved the church. Then two other times, verse twenty-eight: Husbands, love your wives as you would love your own body, your own flesh. So, husbands should care for the needs of their wife. They're not put in this position so that they get what they need and yet leave their wife um, with her needs unmet. Love your wife as you love your own body because you're one flesh. And then the third time, it's husbands love your wife as himself. A husband should love his wife as himself. Men, how do you speak to and about your wife? Do you honor your wife and your relationship with her as precious and important? Or do you complain about the old ball and chain? Right, And then it ends with, that section ends with a similar call to the wife to respect her husband. The call upon both men and women is not to demean our spouse before others, to make fun of them, to complain about them. Now, there are times in, you know, our life we we might have to, with a group, with a close friend, we might be honest about struggles we're having, but even in those confidential conversations, we take care to honor um, our spouse, right, not to dishonor them. I'd say even more in a public setting, beware of even joking put-downs. I know guys, you know, we can joke around with each other and, and slam each other and it's all good, you learn that your relationship with your wife is different from that, that you can't do that. Um, I looked up Rodney Dangerfield, and if I had time, I'd do some of his jokes, but if you, you know, he like he, his, most of his, his spiel was to, 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 you know, take my wife, please. You know, um, I won't try to do it. But what if instead we praised our wife before others? Can I do that for, for real quick? Um, my wife's a great math teacher. She really is. She's teaching currently. But when Ben got into kindergarten, I, we initially thought she might go back to teaching as her career. Instead, she put that on hold for 10 years. And she ran a ministry to teen moms in, back in Ohio called Young Lives. And she invested her life and her energy into ministry in those years, and I just want to honor that, that work that she did, that ministry. Um, when we first met, I was on Young Life staff, and she volunteered for me. Then she went on Young Life staff, running Young Lives, and occasionally I was her flunky, right? When we were at Young Lives stuff, and I helped her, she was the one in charge, and I was the one, you know, following what she needed. When both husband and wife are following the Lord and submitting to, to God, submitting to one another, loving each other, it is a beautiful thing. It is not a form of oppression that the world seems to think it is. It is a good and, 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 and beautiful thing. And I think sometimes the world even can see that. I wanna, there's a movie that I think has a great picture of what it might look like for a wife to, to follow the lead of her husband, to be subject to him. And it's, it's not a Christian-based movie. It's, not, it's called Evan Almighty. So it's a Hollywood movie, though God shows up in the person of Morgan Freeman, who I think if, if God did look like any person, Morgan Freeman... Yep. See ya. Talk to you later. <laughs> Oh, there's two of them. <laughs> yeah. I was actually gonna suggest this would be a great movie to do as like a family night. It's a bit old, but I, I was wondering if kids if kids haven't seen it, it. Would be a actually, seriously, it would be a fun movie to do as a family night because the, the main character is uh, Evan is called to be like Noah. God calls him to build an ark because a great flood is coming. And as the movie goes on, he becomes more and more like Noah and even looks at him. Looks like Noah. And the key tension is, is God spoke to Evan, but not to his wife. And she's like, she thinks her husband's off his, off his rocker, right? Like, what are you doing this? Why, why are you building this ark? I don't understand. This is what we, this wasn't the plan. And so finally, she has enough. She, she, Lee gets the kids and she's going to go to her parents. She's going to to go away and it's there in a little restaurant that Morgan Freeman meets her and reminds her how she had prayed for a closer family and lets her know that her husband Evan is following what he told him he told him to do. In other words, her husband is following God's direction. Wouldn't it be good if she trusted in him and walked with him in that? That's a great picture of what it can look like. I, I didn't, this is new, I wasn't in my initial sermon, but that song we started with, I, I, you know, where it starts out the men sing, I will worship, and the wives echo. I, I love echo songs. And so that's one of my older worship songs. But, but that's a great picture of what it looks like as men decide, I want to follow God and live for him. And the wives come along and they echo that and it's a beautiful thing. But it leaves us with a question. What if the husband is not following the ways of God or even is not a believer? 1 Peter 3 actually addresses that question. Remember what it says. It says, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So be subject even if they don't obey the word. This could be a husband who's not a believer, or it could be they're a believer but in a specific way They are not following what God says. They are disobeying the word of God. So what's the goal for a wife in such a case? Well, it's to win them back to faithfulness to God, right? It's to win them over. The question is, how? Well, what's the first thought on how? Well, you you tell them they're wrong. And you keep telling them they're wrong. Over and over again, and how foolish they are being in their decisions, and their obstinate, stubborn pride, and you go on and on about what they need to do to get right with God. Men, can I ask you, would that work? Would just hearing your wife tell you over and over how wrong you are get you to, to, to change direction, or would you dig in? in our stubbornness and pride and say, the more she tells me not to do it, the more I'm going to keep going that way. I don't care if she thinks I'm lost. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop and ask for directions. I am going to keep driving until I find what I need. Right? Is there not something in men that, that that's our reaction? So what does Peter say? Instead, win them over without a word but by their conduct, by the the respectful and pure conduct of their wives. In other words, the goal is still the same. It's how you do it. The world says that the power of a woman is in her physical appearance. That's verse 3. It says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So, The power of a woman is in her physical appearance, and you amplify that by expensive jewelry and clothes. And it talks about braiding of hair. The Greeks were really into braided hair. And so they they always talked about that. In fact, they would braid gold into their hair, like this picture on the screen. Um, So uh, there's a scene from The Crown that made me think of this verse. Now... I want to make clear, I don't watch The Crown. It's that show about Queen Elizabeth and her family. But my wife has watched The Crown at least two or three times through. And when I walk into the room, and it's playing, ooh, what's going on? And I ask her questions, and I totally annoy her. And But I, you know, I get caught up in it. And the one scene I've seen like two or three times is when Princess Diana, well, when Prince Charles... Uh, basically owns up to adultery with uh, Camilla. And the, the marriage publicly talks about how, you know, he has spurned his wife, Princess Diana. And in the next scene, she goes to some very public event and and she dresses, as, you know, as, as much as she can. Dress, hairstyle, jewelry. She wants a dress to make a statement. The press called it the revenge dress, right, in response. so So she wants to use her physical appearance to make a statement. That's what the world says is how women exert their power. But he goes on to say, but there's another way for women to have an impact, to make a statement. And that's what verses four to six are about. But let not your adorning, um, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. There's a way to have an impact and to to help your husband get back to doing what is right, a way which builds him up and doesn't tear him down. That's what this is addressing. You know, it's not working against him. It's not undermining him. It is working to bring him back to God by through your, your conduct and the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Verse 7, Peter briefly addresses the husbands. He says, likewise, husbands. And for, for the husbands, he keeps it simple because he knows us men, just it needs to be simple for us. And so he gives three things to do. One, live together with your wife, Right? Do not give up on marriage because when it's not easy. The truth is, every marriage is going to have times where it's not easy. Live together with your wife. Don't give up. Second thing he says, live in an understanding way with your wife. So, how, men, how do you understand your wife? It involves a key word, Listening. You have to, seriously, you're like, what? No, no, really, men, you have to listen to your wife and actually try to understand what she's telling you. And even if it involves emotions and all of that. So live, learn to live and listen to and understand your wife to appreciate that inward beauty and the quiet spirit. Um, And then lastly, show honor to your wife. Um, Showing honor to the woman. To your wife, remember who she is. She is a daughter of God. And you are going to answer to God, her father, on how you treat her. That's what it's talking about. It says, says when you, you know, show honor as the weaker vessel. Um, it's not talking about how women are weak, but, but it's, it's calling back. Are, are you going to use your physical strength against your wife? Remember that they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You will answer to God, and if you mistreat your wife, um, you will find that you will have to. Your prayers will be hindered, and you will not relate right to God while doing that. I want to give a quick aside. I feel compelled to give based on this. Um, it, it says wives right, be subject to your husband. But there are three reasons why a divorce might be justified as a follower of Christ. Um, And the scriptures help lead us. There there are three A's, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. So other places in scripture talks about how if if there's adultery, it it is justified for a a spouse to to divorce the other spouse, because the marriage covenant has been broken. Now, it doesn't have to end that way. There can be forgiveness and restoration, but divorce is justified in the case of adultery. The second case is abandonment. Another place where it talks about how if, if your husband leaves you, You are not bound to him anymore. God does not make you slave or bind you to someone who has walked away. They can't just leave you in the lurch like that with with no options. You are then released. And what I would suggest is the third A, abuse, is a form of abandonment. That women are not called by God to live together with the man who is beating her up. And the the same applies because it's happened the other way as well. If that is your case, seek the Lord, seek others, seek his help in getting out of that situation. Galatians 5.1 is spoken to both men and women. It says it is for freedom. You have been set free by Christ. He does not want you to be yoked into slavery. God does not demand that his daughters sit there and take it without any option. Now, there have been time in human history where women had no options. Thankfully, we're not in one of them. So... That's an aside, We're not, that's not the focus, but I felt compelled to, to talk about that because there are women who have been told by their pra- preachers, and I know this, that they're, they're called to just sit there and take it. That is not God's will. Last idea. Does being, because it talked about the weaker vessel, this is based on this. Does being subject to their husbands mean women are supposed to be timid and unassertive, or that women can't work outside in the marketplace and anywhere. They can't be in a job where they're in charge of something. What I would suggest is this this dynamic is within a marriage. That does, it does not relegate women and maybe they can't have a job with authority out in the world. And the reason I do that is, I realize you can't see it on the screen, I'm sorry, I picked this picture because it looked cool. Um, It's from Proverbs 31. And what I want to do is read some selected verses. And this is the scripture's answer to what does an ideal wife look like. What does a godly wife look like? Let me just read the whole thing later, but, but hear this. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Jumping down. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And then it goes on, verse 30. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So this is not the picture of a timid person. It says she clothes herself with strength. It describes her making business decisions, financial transactions that are not, you know, dependent on her her. her husband, and the basic summary is, this is someone who takes charge of things, but she does it in sync with her husband. Not working against him. Not undermining him in the way she does it. Let me close with another quote by Rebecca McLaughlin. The same one she talked about. She struggled with this idea, but then she talks about how she's come to understand it. He says, I've been married a decade, and I am not naturally submissive. I am naturally leadership-oriented. I hold a PhD and a seminary degree, and I am the trained debater of the family. Thank God I married a man who is man enough to celebrate this. And yet, it is a daily challenge for me to remember my role in this drama and to notice opportunities to submit to my husband as to the Lord. Not because I am naturally more or less submissive or because he is more or less or naturally loving, but because Jesus went to the cross for me. It makes all the difference. What the scriptures are calling us to is bound up in this idea that Jesus meant went to the cross and gave his life for us. The call for men to love their wives, even to laying down his own life, and the call for women to trust and follow the lead of their husbands is given in light of a Savior who gave himself to save us from sin and death and hell. Can I say this? The starting point for having a good marriage is to first put your trust in Christ. Right? If, you, you know, if, if you haven't done that, then don't worry about anything I said today. Start with this. Start with what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? I love this picture on the screen because when you put your trust in Christ, it's like stepping out onto this bridge because you believe and have come to trust that it will hold you. But you don't always know where it will lead, how it will go in the end. You gotta trust that if you say yes to Christ, it will lead you to the right place. And maybe wherever your marriage is at, maybe that's what it is for you right now. Your first and most important call is trust Jesus. He can show you how to do the rest. He can lead you in that. But first, put your trust in him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus because we don't know which way to go. We, we can get wrong all our relationships so easily. But we know that when we follow you, you will lead us straight and true, and you will lead us to what is good. So, Lord, show us how to follow your Son. It's in his name that we we lift all these things to you. Amen.